God will speak to His church. I'm not surprised we're feeling His presence like this this morning. The church has been in prayer for the last 12 hours. Throughout the night, people have been praying. Don't tell me that prayer does not work. Thank you for those people who sacrificed their time. Got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock in the morning to pray. It's what's going to make our church enter revival. We're not going to do it because we've got some great program. We're not going to do it because we've got the best music in the world. We're not going to do it because we have the finest preachers in the world. We are going to do it, though, if we are a church that learns to stand on our knees before God in prayer. That is what will make the difference in this church. So I'm grateful for those people who have prayed for this morning and prayed for next weekend because I feel like God is going to talk to us this morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them while you're standing. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're visiting with us this morning, what you are experiencing is the presence of God. You know, and part of what we do at this church is we want to reach for people. We want to reach for people who people people who are hurting and people who are who are wounded and people who need them and have the love of God in their life. That's what we're here for. And there's something beautiful when someone comes into this place. And if that's you this morning, I'm glad you're here. You're experiencing the presence of Jesus. You're not experiencing the presence of any of us people here. None of us are really special in our own selves. But we serve a God who loves us and a God who cares for us. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. a couple more years, son. Get you up here preaching soon. I'm going to read from verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. Say amen when you're there. But God, I'm so glad there was a but God in my life. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened or, or brought us to life together with Christ. By grace, you were saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. With God's help, the price of free grace. The price of free grace. God bless you. May be seated. Jesus, I need you this morning. Lord God, I'm in desperate need of you every hour I live. Lord Jesus. Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. Lord God, I pray, Father, you speak through me to your children, Lord. We're here. We're waiting, Lord. We want to respond to your word today. Let your anointing rest upon all of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. One of the most amazing 
passages in Scripture speaking of a God who is rich in mercy and who with great love loved us so much that while we were dead in our sins, He quickened us or brought us to new life with Christ. He raised us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This God who for no inherent reason and had no inherent reason to save His creation chose to save us. A creation that did not merit its own salvation. There is nothing that we could have done to warrant God's attention. He saved us for no other reason than purely because He loved us. And not just love us, but the Bible tells us that He has great love towards us. And you begin to feel as you... As you read the words that Paul is writing, that he is straining to find the words in language to express how great God's love is for us. And just how far he would go and to what ends he would reach just to save his fallen creation. You see, after the fall, there was nothing that we could have done to warrant the interest of God. There is no other reason that He would need to save us other than He chose to. He needs nothing from us. He does not need our worship. He does not need our service. He needs nothing from us. And yet, this God, who with His exceeding great love, decided that my creation is worth saving and from the moment that sin entered the human race God set into place a plan put it into motion to begin to save his people and that love was demonstrated and put into action on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago when our Savior our Lord our Master took upon himself the sins of the world. Corinthians tells us that for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took our sins to Calvary and paid the only price that was sufficient for God's justice, his own blood, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world John calls him the precious lamb of God and the cross church hear me now the cross stands forever as evidence that there is a God who loves you a God who will make a way no matter what price he must pay a God who is looking to reconcile the world to himself and it reminds us of a God whose desire for justice was met by unmerited grace And this grace birthed a new covenant between God and His fallen, sinful humanity, His creation. And as that new covenant was brought into being, it ushered into existence an era of unprecedented grace. And I'm grateful for that grace today. It's only for that grace that I can stand here in front of you today. We know that it is a period of grace because we know that God is a holy God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
and he cannot dwell in the presence of sin. The book of Romans, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so his creation needed a mediator. They needed somebody who could come and stand between us and a holy God, between sinful humanity and a God who demanded justice between fallen and lost humanity to a God who loved his people but needed to make a way himself to save his people. And this new covenant was born, written not on paper and not with the ink of the pen, but with the very blood of Jesus Christ. Our lamb, my lamb, slain from the foundation of the world because the reality is is that this new covenant could not come into force without the death of the mediator of the new covenant you see that word covenant it means testament and you know <laughs> someone's last will and testament does not come into effect until that person has passed away. And Hebrews tells us this. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 16 it says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after man is dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. And while under the old covenant each family would be required to bring sacrifices. And every year thousands of animals were killed and leaders upon leaders of blood was spilt. It was never sufficient to pay the price of my sin or carry the weight of your sin. It could never remove the stain of sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 tells us this. It says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And so it was on the hill of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest as he walked towards the cross carrying within his own body the sacrifice for our sins. And he paid for your sins. And he paid for my sins with his own blood. But here is where I'm wanting to reach someone today. Just because we have the unmerited favor of God towards man does not mean that it is free. There is a price. There is a price. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 it says for as much as you know you were not redeemed or bought with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your vain lifestyle received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious 
blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter calls it the precious blood of Christ. That means, church, that it is valuable, that it costs something, that it is priceless, that it is expensive. The blood of Jesus that was given freely for us was far beyond any price that we could ever imagine. But without that blood, we would have no access to God. We could have no forgiveness of sins. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. But death is what we deserve for our sin. Death is what we deserve for our actions. But here comes the grace of God. What has been defined as the unmerited favor of God towards man. Encapsulated and trapped in the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says that who for the joy was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God I want to ask you this morning what do you think the joy was that was set before him what do you think motivated Jesus as he trudged up that hill what was it that caused him to do it I'll tell you what it is it was a joy deep down inside of him that said my creation can be redeemed my creation can be brought back there's going to be a time when my creation can re-enter into a relationship with God. A relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. It was a joy that would look forward to this day, today in March in 2020 as we lift our heads freely. As we worship God. As we lift our voice to Him in praise. As we feel His presence sweep over this place. That was the joy that was set before him. And us giving him thanks that he was not willing that any should perish. Mm. Somebody just worship the Lord right now. I didn't deserve it. But Jesus saved me. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the man who beat Christians, the man who dragged Christians off to jail, the man who watched Stephen get stoned and was complicit in his murder, the one who said, I am the chief of all sinners. Is it any wonder that under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he looked at his life and said, by grace am I saved. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I didn't deserve it. But Jesus saved me. I didn't learn it but he rescued me anyway. I was lost in sin hopelessly bound in addictions and pains but Jesus walked into my life and with the blood in his hand he spoke to the one who had the rights to my soul and said not today Satan this one's going to be mine I'm going to claim him back I'm going to pay the price that he owes for redemption. I'm saved by grace. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God still made a way for me. Oh, Jesus. Yes, God extends His grace to us freely. 
And I am forever grateful at that. But oh, church, let us not ever forget that it came at such a high price. If God ever decided to put a price on His grace, it would be far more than anything we could ever afford. We're not talking about buying a new car or buying a new house or buying a new business. It's not even like buying an island or buying your own country. You might as well say, let's go buy the entire universe. And that would still cost far less than the price that was paid for us but here's the thing that's breaking my heart this morning is that sometimes like children with a new toy we have no concept of what cost is and we have no understanding of where the budget came from to afford that and like that child we live our lives unaware that grace wants to operate in our life every single day oh We tend to treat grace like a one-time judicial event. Now I'm saved. I don't need any more grace. I've done what I've needed to do. I've repented of my sins. You know, I've been baptized. I've, I've become a part of a church. But, but grace does not work like that, church. Because grace is not just a one-time event. But grace needs to be the lens by which we view our world. And the lens by which we look at everything around around us because grace is not about self-justification grace is not a license to live any way we want to live Romans tells us this in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 it says what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid, Paul answers his own question. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Church, hear me today. Grace is not about self-justification. Grace is about self-crucifixion. It's not about what could God do for me. It's about what can God take out of my life that's not pleasing to Him. Because when grace becomes self-justification, we become the enemies of the cross. Oh, my Lord, help us. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18. It says, For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and they mind the things of the world. Oh, church, hear me now. I am not speaking in condemnation this morning. But when we become more concerned about the things of this world, oh, when we become more worried about what others think about us. Young people, when we become more worried about our latest picture on Instagram, when we become worried about how many people have liked us or followed us or tweeted us, when we become more concerned about what others think, and we begin to be more concerned 
with the things of this world. And our God is our belly. We just want to live in comfort and safeness. We become the enemies of the cross. And I don't know about you, but I can barely stand the thought of that this morning. When I consider what Jesus did for me, when I consider the price that he paid for me, when I consider what it cost him so that I could be here today to then turn around and become an enemy of the very thing that became my salvation. Somebody worship the Lord again. I feel the presence of the Lord here this morning. When our mind is filled with the things of this world, when we care more about what's going on, we care more about looking fashionable, we care more about making sure we're at all the great parties, we make sure that everything looks great in our life. When our mind is filled with the things of this world, we begin to lose sight of scriptures like this one. Come out from among them and be you separate. Be ye holy, for I am a holy Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And that's what we're living under is God's mercy. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The very first thing is holy. Oh church, we need to learn what it means to be separated. I know we've got work. I know we've got school. But when, when we're more concerned with looking like the world and trying to make sure we've got the right heels matching the right dress, or we're making sure we've got our muscles nice and good so all the girls at school and college think we're amazing. Oh, my Lord, help us. We are becoming enemies of the cross. And God help us not to forget the prize of the free grace that we enjoy today. Just because we are saved by grace does not mean that we can live the way we want to live our lives because it's not about us. It's not about self-justification. It's about self-denial. It is about living for something bigger than just ourselves. This is why Paul wrote to the Galatians and he says in chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. We don't like that word because that means we don't have control we don't like that word because we like to have our lives all planned out but he Paul writes he says I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first step towards a right relationship with God, church, hear me now, is to have the right attitude towards His freely given grace. And when we understand grace, not with our head, but with our heart, 
It gets into your very soul. And it gets into the fiber of your being. And it impacts the way that you live your life. When you live your life with the cross in view. And you live your life with grace in view. A deep heart understanding of grace will impact you in your walk with God. You will not be the same, but you will be changed. And that's what God wants. That's what it means to be a disciple. As we all stand this morning, I want you to go to John chapter 20, 21 for me. Gospel of John. John chapter 21 and verse 3. I want to know this morning how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to let grace impact your life? John 21 and verse 3. Simon Peter says unto them, I go a fishing. He said unto him, We are going to go with you. And went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Peter decided that he was going to go back to his old job. He decided he wanted to go back to his old lifestyle, hang out with the boys down on the lake, maybe do a little bit of fishing. And the story goes that on the shore, they saw a man that was asking them, have you caught any fish? And they said, no. And this man says, cast on the other side. And, and they do it. And the Bible tells us that they catch a whole net full of fish. And it's at that moment the light bulb goes on and they realize that's Jesus. That's Jesus. They sit down, they eat together. And there's an interesting exchange that happens here in verse 15. So when they dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him the second time, Simon, Son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And then he says something interesting. He says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, when you were young, you girded yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth 
thine hands. And another shall gird thee and carry thee where you wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. He's just told Peter, Peter, if you really do love me, one day they will take your life off you because of that. And Jesus asks him again, will you still follow me? Will you still follow me? Yes, God's grace is extended to us freely. The way of salvation is open to us. But it came at a great cost. And that means there is no going back. Grace will call you far beyond where you think you can go. Grace will call you far beyond your comfort zones. Grace will call you to be willing to lay everything on the altar for Jesus. And if you truly believe this morning that God's grace is as priceless and as valuable as I'm trying to tell you that it is, then I'm asking you this morning, just what will you be willing to lay down to respond to God's call? God takes your job. How are you going to feel? God wants your money. What if God wants your house? What if God wants your health? Lose grandparents. Lose aunties. Lose uncles. What if in service to God you lose one of your kids? What if you lose your husband or your wife? Would you still live for God? Would His grace still be sufficient for you? What if it became illegal to live for Jesus in this country? What if they locked the doors and barred them up, started rounding up all those people who went to Hope Divine Pentecostal Church? When they knock at your door, would God's grace still be sufficient for you? What if there's fines? If there's prison? If you get beaten up, what if you even get killed where God wants to take you? Is that too far for you to go? Because Jesus went that far and more for you. Job chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. For a hypocrite shall not come before him. Oh, church, have we ever been guilty of being hypocritical when it comes to God's grace? We live however we want to live. We do whatever we want to do. Taking advantage of the fact that God's justice is being met by God's grace. I just wonder how much of a deeper relationship we could have with God if we answered the call of grace in our life. We've all been guilty of undervaluing God's amazing grace from myself to the youngest person, the oldest person in this room. But God, by His grace, is calling you this morning
under the sound of my voice into a deeper relationship with you and with Him. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're just starting out, whether you're wanting a deeper revelation of God's grace in your life, whether He's calling you to sacrifice everything you've ever held for the cause of truth. I want to finish with this scripture before we open up these altars. I'm going to be the first in there. Paul writes this. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do. Just one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's it going to be, church? You're going to answer the call of grace this morning and say, God, if I have ever undervalued what you've done for me, forgive me, Lord. Draw me closer to you, Jesus. Let me not take advantage, Lord, of your salvation, God. Let's begin to live our lives like grace is actually worth anything like the price that was paid for us.